praise you, God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So thankful today for all our volunteers that work so hard while we're in here enjoying service by a music team that has prayed and prepared and practiced. All the kids are out in Sunday school with a team that, again, has prayed and prepared. I don't know if they practice or not, but uh, so thankful for uh, the work that they're, they're doing. It would not be possible to have service without all our volunteers. And, uh, well, tonight at midnight, we go yellow. Isn't that awesome? I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but uh, I guess it's good. Um, so we've been, we've been talking about the gospel, and this week is part five of my three-part series. My kids make fun of me that I preach on the same thing forever. Um, but hey, it's the gospel. It's awesome. I can't stop talking about it. So I thought it was going to be three parts, then four, then seven. But I've, I've just included another message here right in the middle, so it's going to be extended another week after the original eight weeks. I don't even know. It's the gospel. What, hey. But let's, let's read a scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Somebody say saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, the gospel is the good news. Well, the gospel means good news. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. He was buried, but he rose again so that we could be saved from our sins and live a new life. So that's kind of the gospel in a nutshell. Again, you know, we've talked about how the whole book can be the gospel because it's all good news. And there are so many aspects of the gospel which we're going to talk about one of those aspects today because there is just so much good news in the Bible. Um, you know, during this uh, time and season that we're in, I'll get phone calls or messages of people, you know, stressed or anxious. And I'm like, how much are you watching the news all day? I'm like, how much are you on social media all the time? And I'm like, well, I got something easy for you. Just turn that stuff off. If you, if you want to relieve a little bit of stress and anxiety, read some good news. Amen? There's so much good news in this. So here's a couple of scriptures with some, some good news. Um, Romans chapter 5 and verse 11 says this. And so this is all connected to the gospel, by the way. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, been, have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. So, 
Uh, as we're talking about the good news, we're, we've talked about uh, the gospel, what the gospel is, living the gospel. And two of the lessons we've covered so far is living by faith and living dead to our sins, which is what we talked about last week. Um, we're going to turn to Colossians 1.13 because we're going to be talking about another part. Uh, in Romans 5.11, we mentioned reconciliation. So Colossians 1.13 is similar to that. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So basically, today we're going to kind of talk about where he took us from uh, and where he brought us to. So he took us from where we are, where we were, and brought us to where we are today. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to read that from the very beginning, humanity was hell-bent on sabotaging their relationship with God. That's, that's what they were. Humanity was hell-bent on sabotaging their relationship with God. And uh, don't say amen to that, because that means you were too. Because you don't have to say amen, I already know that. But, even though humanity was so messed up and self-destructive, God, if you read the Old Testament, that's the thing you're going to get. God was faithful. God was faithful through it all. He was there. He never forsook them. He never abandoned them. He never gave up time and time again. He forgave them, and he, he brought them back, and he made a way until the New Testament. He finally just came, and he died for us, to break that grip of sin in our life, to set us free, and the word that we mentioned earlier, to reconcile us to Christ. So today we're actually going to talk about the gospel being the good news of God's faithfulness. The gospel being the good news of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I've done something similar to this before, but today I'm going to read you a story. And someone said, great, I can take a nap. I'm going to read you a story. It's from the book by Max Lucado, or Lucado, depending how you pronounce it. And it's from his book uh, called He Chose the Nails. If you have it with you, you can follow along. It's chapter 7. Um, he Chose the Nails. And there's a you know, I've, I've wanted to do this for a while, and then I started this series, and I was going to do something like this at the end, but I just felt um, this morning that I was going to, that I needed to do it this morning. And so, parts of this I'm going to read, because it is a story that he wrote, and I don't kind of, I don't want to get off track or make it up. So he tells a story about five-year-old Madeline, or Madeline. Um, five-year-old Madeline climbed into her father's lap. Did you have enough to eat, he asked her. She smiled and patted her tummy. I can't eat anymore. Did you have some of your grandma's pie? A whole piece, she said. Joe looked across the table at his mom. Looks like you filled us up. Don't think we'll be able to do anything tonight, but go to bed. Madeline put her little hands on either side of his big face and said, Oh, but Papa, this is Christmas Eve. You said we could dance. Joe pretended he had a poor memory. Did I now? 
Well, I don't remember saying anything about dancing. Grandma smiled and shook her head as she began clearing the table. But Papa Madeline pleaded, we always dance on Christmas Eve. Just you and me, remember? A smile burst from beneath his thick mustache. Of course I remember, darling. How could I forget? And with that, he stood and took her hand in his, and for a moment, just a moment, his wife was alive again, and the two were walking into the den to spend another night before Christmas as they had spent so many dancing away the evening. They would have danced the rest of their lives, but then came the surprise pregnancy and the complications. Madeline survived, but her mother did not. And Joe, the thick-handed butcher from Minnesota, was left to raise his Madeline alone. Come on, Papa, she tugged on his hand. Let's dance before everyone arrives. She was right. Soon the doorbell would ring and the relatives would fill the floor and the night would be passed. But for now, it was just Papa and Madeline. You know, there's something about the love of a parent towards a child. It's kind of hard to explain. But if you consider a couple with a newborn child, that infant really has not <laughs> a whole lot to offer. No money, no skill, no words of wisdom. If the child had pockets, they would be empty. You know, if you see an infant lying in a crib, really what you see is helpless, helplessness. You know, what is there to love? Whatever it is, the parents, it's an inbred thing. They find whatever it is, and they love that baby, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, I remember when Vanessa was born. That my first, my firstborn. You know the jokes. What a treasure. Let's bury it. Not really. <laughs> that perfect, perfect child. And then of course Rosie. And then the boys when we, when we got the boys. Um, you know if you want to know how much a parents love their children, just try speaking evil of them. You'll find a mighty wrath because the love of a parent, there is nothing like the love of a parent. But it's interesting because Jesus said this one time in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. He said, if you then, and he's talking to parents really, he said, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him? You know, how much do we love our children and we give to them? Well, not anymore. They're adults. They're cut off. But when they were young, you give to them. And he's comparing that to the love of God and how much he loves us. If you who are evil, if humanity who is sinful and wicked can give to their children, what happens when, or, or th consider the love of God to us. But here's, here's the thing. What happens when we love and love is not returned? What happens to the heart of a father 
when his child turns away. We're going to pick up the story of Madeline again. Rebellion flew into Joe's world like a Minnesota blizzard. About the time she was old enough to drive, Madeline decided she was old enough to lead her life, and that life did not include her father. I should have seen it coming, Joe would later say, but for the life of me, I didn't. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle the pierced nose and the tight shirts. He didn't understand the late nights and the poor grades. And most of all, he didn't know when to speak and when to be quiet. She, on the other hand, had it all figured out. She knew when to speak to her father. Never. She knew when to be quiet. Always. The pattern was reversed, however, with that lanky, tattooed kid from down the street. He was no good, and Joe knew it. And there was no way he was going to allow his daughter to spend Christmas Eve with that kid. You'll be with us tonight, young lady. You'll be at your grandma's house eating your grandma's pie, and you'll be with us on Christmas Eve. Though they were at the same table, they might as well have been on different sides of town. Madeline played with her food and said nothing. Grandma tried to talk to Joe, but he was in no mood to chat. Part of him was angry. Part of him was heartbroken. And the rest of him would have given anything to know how to talk to this girl who once sat on his lap. Soon the relatives arrived, bringing with them a welcome end to the awkward silence. It's a room filled with Noise and people, Joe stayed on one side, Madeline sat sullenly on the other. Put on the music, Joe, reminded one of his brothers, and so he did. Thinking she would be honored, he turned and walked toward his daughter. Will you dance with your puppet tonight? The way she huffed and turned, you'd have thought he'd insulted her. In full view of the family, she walked out the front door, marched down the sidewalk, leaving her father alone, very much alone. It's interesting because that's basically what humanity did to God. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, it tells us, if you're not picking up, we're, we're the Madeline in the story. Isaiah 53 and 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Humanity turned their back on God, turned their back on their Father. Paul has this to say in Romans chapter 5 and 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's one of my favorite scriptures because it doesn't just say that he died for the world and he died for me and he died for you. It, it uses a word here, ungodly. People who were actually living against God. When, when your mind wasn't even thinking of God, when, when you were thinking of living, actually doing everything in your power to do what God didn't want you to do, He died for you. Another scripture, actually Romans 5 and 10, says this, For if when we were enemies, <laughs> when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is not talking about people who were just 
you know, doing their own thing, minding their own business, living good lives. It's talking about people that were ungodly, that were enemies, that were actually living against God. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that was them. That's not me. Really? Have you ever done anything knowing God wouldn't want you to do it? Have you ever hurt one of God's children or part of his creation? Have you ever supported or applauded the work of the devil? Have you ever turned against your heavenly father in public? You know, how does God react when we become his adversary or his enemies? How does God react? Let's go back to the story of Madeline. Madeline came back that night, but not for long. Joe never faulted her for leaving. After all, what's it like being the daughter of a butcher? In their last days together, he tried so hard. He made her her favorite dinner. She didn't want to eat. He invited her to a movie. She stayed in her room. He bought her a new dress. She didn't even say thank you. And then there was that spring day. He left work early to be at the house when she arrived home from school. Wouldn't you know, that was the day she never came home. A friend saw her and her boyfriend in the vicinity of the bus station. The authorities confirmed the purchase of a ticket to Chicago where she went from there was nobody's guess. The most notorious road in the world is the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows. According to tradition, it's the route that Jesus took from Pilate's judgment hall to Calvary. And the path is marked by different stations that Christians will frequently go. One of the station, stations marks Pilate's verdict, another the appearance of Simon to carry the cross. But the truth of the matter is, no one really knows the route because in A.D. 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. And again in A.D. 135, so it might be close, but nobody really knows. But the truth of the matter is, that journey that Christ took didn't start at Pilate's Judgment Hall. That journey that Christ took actually started in heaven when he decided to leave and come to this world to give his life for us. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, we've used this word reconcile a lot. What does it mean? The Greek word for reconcile means to render something otherwise. To render something otherwise. In other words, to change it from what it was into something else. Re reconciliation restitches unraveled lives. Reconciliation reverses the rebellion. It rekindles that lost passion that we had for God. Reconciliation changes lives from those that are going away from Christ and turns them around and brings them to Christ. That's reconciliation. The path to the cross tells us exactly how far God was willing to go to bring us back. It tells us how, God, how far God was willing to go to, to bring us to him. He was willing to go to the cross. Back to the story. Anybody sleeping yet? 
The scrawny boy with the tattoos had a cousin. The cousin worked the night shift at a convenience store south of Houston. For a few bucks a month, he would let the runaways stay in his apartment at night, but they had to be out during the day, which was fine with them. They had big plans. He was going to be a mechanic, and Madeline just knew she could get a job at a department store. Of course, he knew nothing about cars, and she knew less about getting a job. But you don't think of things like that when you're intoxicated on freedom. After a couple of weeks, the cousin changed his mind, and the day he announced his decision, the boyfriend announced his. Madeline found herself facing the night with no place to sleep or hand to hold. It was the first of many such nights. A woman in the park told her about the homeless shelter near the bridge. For a couple of bucks, she could get a bowl of soup and a cot. A couple of bucks was about all she had. She used her backpack as a pillow and jacket as a blanket. The room was so rowdy it was hard to sleep. Madeline turned her face to the wall and for the first time in several days thought of the whiskered face of her father as he would kiss her goodnight. But as her eyes began to water, she refused to cry. She pushed the memory deep inside, determined not to think about home. She'd gone too far to go back. The next morning, the girl in the cot beside her showed her a fistful of tips she made from dancing on tables. This is the last night I'll have to stay here, she said. Now I can pay for my own place. They told me they're looking for another girl. You should come by. She reached into her pocket and pulled out a matchbook. Here's the address. Madeline's stomach turned at the thought. All she could do was mumble, I'll think about it. She spent the rest of the week on the streets looking for work, and at the end of the week, when it was time to pay her bill at the shelter, she reached into her pocket, pulled out the matchbook. It was all she had left. It won't, I won't be staying tonight, she said, and walked out the door. Hunger has a way of softening convictions. Pride and shame are related. They have the same parents. They seem differently. Pride puffs up. Shame hangs her head. Pride boasts. Shame hides. Pride seeks to be seen. Shame seeks to be avoided. But these two are closely related. You see, because the emotions of pride and shame have the same impact. They keep you from your father. The thing is, pride and shame is what our society is full of today. Pride says you're too good. Shame says you're too bad. Pride drives you away and shame keeps you away. If pride comes before a fall, shame keeps you from getting up. Today, if you're here, let me encourage you. Don't let anything keep you away from God. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you've lived or what people have said. Don't let anything keep you away from God. If the music could come back, here's the rest of Madeline's story. If Madeline knew anything, she knew how to dance. Her father had taught her. Now men the age of her father watched her. She didn't rationalize it. She just didn't think about it. Madeline simply did her work and took their dollars. She might have never thought about it except for the letters. The cousin brought them. Not one or two but a box full, all addressed to her, all from her father. Her, whole boyfriend, her old boyfriend must have squealed on her. These come two or three a week, complained the cousin. Give him your address. Oh, but she couldn't do that. He might find her. 
nor could she bear to open the envelope. She knew what they said. He wanted her home. But if he knew what she was doing, he would not be writing. It seemed less painful to read them. It seemed less painful not to read them, so she didn't. Not that week or the next when the cousin brought more, nor the next when he came again. She kept them in her dressing room at the club, organized according to date. She ran her fingers over the top of each, but couldn't bring herself to open one. Most days, Madeline was able to numb the emotions. Thoughts of home and thoughts of shame were shoved into the same part of her heart. But there were occasions when the thoughts were too strong to resist. Like the time she saw a dress in the clothing store window, a dress the same color as the one her father had purchased for her, a dress that had been far too plain for her. With much reluctance, she put, put it on and stood with him before the mirror. My, you're as tall as I am, he said to her. She had stiffened at his touch. Seeing her weary face reflected in the store window, Madeline realized she'd, she'd give a thousand dresses to feel his arm again. She walked away and resolved not to pass by that store again. In time, the leaves fell and the air chilled. The mail came, the cousin complained, and the stack of letters grew. She still refused to send him her address. And she refused to read a letter. Then a few days before Christmas Eve, another letter arrived. Same shape, same color. But this one had no postmark. It was not delivered by the cousin. It was sitting on her trusting room table. A couple of days ago, a big man stopped by and asked me to give this to you, explained one of the other dancers. Said you'd understand the message. He was here, she asked anxiously. The woman shrugged, suppose he had to be. Madeline, Madeline swallowed hard and looked at the envelope. She opened it and removed the card. I know where you are. It read, I know what you do. This doesn't change the way I feel. What I've said in each letter is still true. But I don't know what you've said, Madeline declared. She pulled a letter from the top of the stack and read it, then a second and a third. Each letter had the same sentence. Each sentence asked the same question. In a matter of moments, the floor was littered with paper and her face was streaked with tears. Within an hour, she was on a bus. I just might make it in time. She barely did. The relatives were starting to leave. Joe was helping Grandma in the kitchen and when his brother called from the suddenly quiet den, Joe, someone is here to see you. Joe stepped out of the kitchen and stopped. In one hand, the girl held a backpack. In the other, she held a card. Joe saw the question in her eyes. The answer is yes, she said to her father. If the, invita if the invitation is still good, the answer is yes. Joe swallowed hard. Oh, my. 
The invitation is good. And so the two danced again on Christmas Eve. On the floor near the door rested a letter with Madeline's name and her father's request. Will you come home and dance with your papa again? I don't know why this story just gets me. But I know what Jesus did for me. And I know how many times I've failed and I've turned my back. And I've done things I shouldn't have done. But he's always there. I pick up the book and everywhere it's written, will you come home? I'm still here. I still love you. I've not abandoned you. I've not left you. There's nothing you could have done. Whether you're watching this right now or you're here in this room, understand there's nothing you could do to make God not love you anymore. That's what the gospel's about, understanding the love of Christ. Like this father loved her daughter, his daughter unconditionally, Christ loves you. His desire is not for you to be out there doing whatever you want, living however you want, dealing with all your own pain and all your own struggles. His desire is for you to be in his house, to be in his arms, to be with, in his love. Let's all stand today. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the good news of the gospel that you are a faithful God. God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. You'll never abandon us. Your word says you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, if there's someone that is watching right now, that is here right now, that thinks they're too good or they're not good enough, let them know, God, that you're there for them right here, right now, that you love them, that you died for them, that you gave your life for them, God, for their sins so they could be set free, so they could live for you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you're faithful. I love you, Lord. Just go ahead and worship the Lord or talk to the Lord, whatever you want to do right now.